Welcome back to the Oklahoma Drill. Alex and Ryan here with Sam once again. Uh, we're going to talk through OU's big win against TCU and then sort of explore the rest of the country and look at a potential defensive coordinator hire. So um, let's, let's just jump right into the game. What did you guys think about it? Uh, so, I mean, the way it started, man, like it was about as good as it could get. Like that first offensive drive, it was just one of those things where just immediately you could just tell that like, oh, Lincoln's going to do this to Gary Patterson again, isn't he? Yeah. You know, so which good Lord, like Gary Patterson hates playing Lincoln Riley. Like in this postgame press conference, you know, he was making some excuses and he just kind of overall sounded annoyed. Like he just literally has no answer for what to do. Yeah. And it's, you know, it was this was actually really well summed up by an SB Nation article that came out on Saturday, which is like this is like personally embarrassing for him. Like he his entire reputation is that he is the guy who knows how to stop the spread. And like Lincoln just has made him look like an idiot three times in a row. Yeah, because I mean, these have been like the last uh, especially last year, because like that was one of his better teams at TCU since he's been in the big 12 yeah. last year's yeah. team, like his D de- especially on defense. Like they were, I remember being worried because they were one of the better defenses in the country last year. Yeah. And it just, at no point did it seem like, Oh yeah, they, they have any kind of answer for us. Like Lincoln just always knows what to do and how to mm. just like, he just knows how to take advantage of that defense, like pretty much in any situation. Yeah. yeah, like after seeing us handle them twice last year, I that that was part of why I was not worried at all really going into this one. It was like if if we could do that to them twice in the same season with a better team, like yeah, I was not not worried about it this year. Yeah, and this I mean, this game to me it just kind of further shows that I mean, this offense is it's probably better than last year's, you know? Yeah. And, like, I don't think there – I mean, maybe you could have told me that that would have been the case before the year and I would have been, like, blindly optimistic and believed you. But, like, mm-hmm. realistically speaking, just no one really saw this coming. You know, like, you lose Baker Mayfield, one of the – like, the best quarterback in school history, mm-hmm. and you replace him with a guy like Kyler Murray, and you just – you get better. And, I mean – we talk about this every week, but like this is an offense that lost Rodney Anderson too, so it's pretty absurd at this point. Yeah. Does someone want to be hot take guy for the podcast and say that Kyler Murray is better than Baker Mayfield? Um, because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say that, um, just because watching Baker Mayfield play is something that I'm just always going to hold close to my heart. Um, but the same is true of watching Kyler play. Um, and, um, geez, Kyler can do things that Baker can only dream of doing. Like, yeah, there were, sorry, go ahead. I was, he's just physically capable of things that Baker isn't physically capable of. Right. Well, there were a couple runs in this game, like just scrambles that, I mean, the TCU guys were in perfect position and (laughs) there were multiple guys in perfect position to stop him. And he would just like juke him out and get around and you know Mm -hmm. 12 yards you know like it just it's absurd like there's just nothing you can do and to think like I don't even 
one I how good would this offense be if Rodney Anderson were healthy? Like it just Yeah. Because I mean, I think we all are falling in love with what we've seen from Kennedy Brooks. Yeah. Um, and he had a great game th- today or this past Saturday, but like he's you know, obviously he's not Rodney Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Talk, no. um, talking, talking about Kyler, Alex, you kind of said it a little bit, but it's like almost unfair how whenever like because obviously, you know, he's always sliding to protect himself after eight yards or so. But there were actually a few runs in this game where he didn't just immediately go down. But like he made guys miss and then was still able to slide after making after breaking two tackles, like still able to go down safely and protect himself. Like it is unreal in the same way that like I was incredibly shocked that if Baker ever like missed a throw, I was just as shocked. I think there was like one play where Kyler didn't get the corner on a defensive. Like he got tripped up by the ankle and I was like, wait, did that actually just happen? Like yeah, that's that's just the level. His dynamicism is the same as like as Baker's throwing. Yeah. 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 And, and the thing about it, too, is he doesn't miss very many throws. Like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like throws he missed in this game. And I'm just, you know, he was 19 of 24. But like, I just I can't think of like a bad throw that he threw yeah. the whole game. He had one batted down and. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty much it. He had one batted down. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's pretty absurd that he's becoming, you know, obviously the athleticism is there and just jaw-dropping, but, like, some of the throws he's making are just, yeah, you don't see quarterbacks make them. Like, he had one where he was rolling right. It was the first possession of the second half, and um, he just hit C.D. Lamb over, over the top of the defense on, like, a corner route type deal. Yeah. And it was just – that's unfair. Like how he's able to just throw it over defenders and drop it right into the, to the bucket. Like it's, it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do y'all and just want to, kinda... about... okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. I was just gonna say like the thing about that was as soon as he rolled out and got set up on the outside, I was like, okay, uh, this is a touchdown play. I don't know oh, how yeah. yet, but this will end in a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you were going to say, Sam? Oh, I was just going to ask, as far as breaking down this game, did you guys want to go drive-by-drive? Drive? Just talk about it a little bit? Well, I think it's it's pretty fair. Like, we need to talk about the officiating a little bit. Good yeah. Lord. I mean, we, we would get there at the end of the first drive if that's <laughs> yeah. how we were yeah. breaking this down. Right. So that, yeah. that play we were talking about, CD scores, he and Marquise Brown do their handshake that they've done after every touchdown they've scored. So they've done it a lot. Um, And the rest throw the uh, unsportsmanlike flag because it's a choreographed celebration. Right. Um, And and the thing that's most frustrating to me about it is that it really seemed like that was something that that officiating crew knew that they were going to call coming into this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they knew it was coming. Like the ref was standing there watching for it and he threw it. But like, why wouldn't you just tell them before the game not to do it? Like that's just yeah. seems ridiculous exactly. to me. I, ha- I have a theory and it's because the ref's a dickhead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. So the, um, 
like, I guarantee that this and a lot of the other calls that went against OU are things that Gary Patterson saw on film um, and made a special emphasis to with the refs before the games. Right. Um, before the game. Um, yeah. I which, saw your tweet about Gary having the, uh, the rule book out this week. Yeah. Um, no, this is things like, first off, that handshake, that's an obvious one. Um, and it ended up being a huge penalty because it's what set up Cavante Turpin to take it to the house on the kick return. Um, but then, like, Creed Humphrey going downfield on the backside of late scrambling plays. Like, that's the sort of thing where it's like, I'm sure he has done that before. And it doesn't affect the play at all, but it's technically in violation of the rules. Um, Cody did you, Ford, did you Did you see how far he was down the field? He was, like, he was down the He was four field. yards. Like, it was... Yeah. Right on the edge, like I to me, you got it. Like, let that go. Like, what is yeah. is the rule? Three yards. The rule's three. Yeah. So he's technically in violation of it, and it's just this is a thing that Gary Patterson's on tape. Same with Cody Ford's pre-snap alignment. Um. Yeah, and that yeah. one drives me crazy because you could call it all the time. Like, I mean, yeah. And if in if like a tackle, that one was egregious. Yeah, and like if a tackle's too far back. They expect to get told that, especially like, you know, I mean, Cody Ford is now a little ways into playing tackle, but he's he, you know, he spent his most of his career as an interior lineman. And so, like, he's expecting to be told, hey, you're too far back. And like, the reality is, like, you know, it changes every like play by play. It changes what a ref thinks is acceptable alignment for a tackle. Yeah, no, it's. It, it, I just I thought they they were just like really ticky tack calls and like yeah, and like they had the stupid old ref. I I hate the rules guys that they put that they have. Like I think it's the dumbest thing about the TV broadcast. Yeah. So they just they always have to like they always have to have a rules guy. The guy's never gonna say like oh I disagree with the ref. Like he's always gonna agree with the call. Like mm-hmm. just take it out. Like it's pointless. It's just gonna all it does is make people mad whenever the ref agrees with the with the call that was made on the field so yeah um it's it's a stupid feature but um and there well there was another one where it was just like uh but then we get called on on offsides on a kickoff you know like it was just little things that you just don't see called very often that were just mm-hmm. it seemed like all of them were just coming out in the first half against us and it was like, yeah. yeah, we've got to be more disciplined and, you know, we've got to eliminate those. But, like, at the same time, you could just as easily do the exact same thing again and it not get called. Yeah, exactly. Which which adds to why I think Ryan hit it on the head that, like, I, Gary Patterson had to be, like, he knew this was his only shot at staying in this game was having them call every little thing. And it worked for the very beginning when he got the, kick return touchdown as a direct result of this yeah. incredibly frustrating call. Yeah. Also, but, a dire- also a direct result of his uh, athletic program not following up on a bench warrant, but we can get <laughs> into that later. Uh, oh. I want to I give Lincoln Riley um, some props for how he kind of handles questionable calls mm-hmm. uh, because it's in like a very passive-aggressive way. Um, and I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Like just every time, like I remember specifically after the, uh, the Texas game, like that Ben powers holding penalty that got called. 
Mm-hmm. That basically stopped one of our drives and cost us the game, but that's beside the point. Um, he was just like, yeah, I guess we just got to coach better because he did exactly what we tell him to do, and he got called. And like that's just kind of his go-to <laughs> thing. He's like, I yeah. guess we're just gonna have to coach him up better because yeah, they they're doing what we told him to do, and I guess I guess that's a penalty now, you know, like. It's yeah. just very passive aggressive, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. I mean, you would think that the youngest or one of the youngest head coaches in college football would be like the king of petty. Like yeah. he know he knows what it's like. He can relate to the youths. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so I mean, the rest of the first half, like, um, we ran the ball really well for the entire game, and like, yeah. I think we're finally to that point. Where And, like, it was good against Texas for the most part. Um, we yeah. didn't play the right running back for the majority of the game. But mm-hmm. today we gave the correct running back plenty of touches. And, like, you really saw, oh, crap, this offensive line is there. Like, they're back to the mm-hmm. 2017 level. Um, and they might even be a little bit better in some ways. So, um, yeah. I'm really excited about that. That is, to me, what makes OU, like, our offense just untenable. Like, if... In this conference, like, mm-hmm. it, the fact that now, like, oh, we can go on a seven-minute drive. Like, our second scoring drive was seven minutes long. Like, yeah. Kevontae Turpin returns the kickoff, and then we go on a seven-minute drive and just go chunk play by chunk play down the field and, yeah. like, go up 14-7. Like, to me, that was a killer for that TCU defense because it just kind of set the tone for, like, oh, yeah, we scored in, like, three plays on the first drive, but now we're going to slow it down. Like, it's going to be a long day for you guys. Yeah, I think. Uh, oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Ryan. No, you go ahead. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, I think Nathan Hill pointed out on Twitter something that I don't know if it's Brock Hewitt or the other guy said that this Oklahoma team they are just not playing up tempo like they're used to, and it's like you can tell. This is what Nathan said. You can tell the announcers that aren't paying attention because like this is not an up tempo team anymore. It's an efficient and explosive team. And that is not the same as being up tempo. Yeah, I'm looking for a tempo or just a tempo stat on my spreadsheet right now because I know that we are probably like around 80th. We pretty much always are. Um, this team takes its time. It gets to the line and then waits. That's yeah. Yeah, no, um, it's. Have you found that stat? Yeah, I'm looking for no, it. No, I'm, st- I'm still uh, adjusted. 92nd in adjusted pace. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're we're probably one of the slower teams in the Big 12. Like, yeah. It just and like now that we are really establishing the run game, and we'll talk more about Kennedy Brooks, but we're we're playing the right personnel in the run game now too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like. We're actually to a point where, like, this offense is going to start helping out the defense a lot. And we know the defense needs help, even though they shouldn't. Like, I'm not saying that, well, your offense has to help the defense. But we're, we're getting to a point where that's probably going to be something that comes into play. Mm-hmm. Like, there'll be, like, a fourth quarter that, like, we're up 10 or something and we get the ball. And it would, you know, we could score, but it'd be nice to just end the game. And we're probably just going to be able to end the game now. Yeah. You you were talking about our offensive line being incredible this game. We had 3.14 line yards per carry, and the national average is 2.45. Yeah. Um, that's just ridiculous. Our stuff rate from 
our rushing attack. We're 37th in the country on offense, so we are getting through that first level with relative ease. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, most people would say the strength of this TCU defense is in the front seven. Like, this is a talented front seven. And probably, I mean, maybe the best unit we've seen all year up there, and it just doesn't matter. You know? Yeah. Like, it's – they just – you know, they may as well not even have been there. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, really, other than the the second half of the second quarter, you know, there was just a bad run there where just every penalty that could happen against us happened, and it stalled mm-hmm. a couple drives offensively. And then, like, our defense had its just its worst stint of the day. Like, it gave up a couple big plays, which yeah. I felt pretty good about how I – kind of projected how the game would go because I said I thought TCU would score 27 points and I thought they would make a couple big plays just because you know defensively we were going to be doing maybe something a little bit different um, Mm -hmm. even if we're not changing everything up and like they did they Kevontae Turpin made a big play and Jalen Rager made a big play so um, yeah I think I I think I kind of nailed it there (laughs) uh, if I'm being honest Um, let's talk about the defense then um First okay, off, okay, real quick, can we can yeah. we actually go into uh, the running game because like the running yeah. backs because yeah okay like Trey Sermon got the start again um, which whatever you know it, it was another game where it was just obvious how much better he is late in the game as opposed to the beginning yeah um, because he was okay at the beginning of the game but mm. there were just a couple times where it's just like dude stop dancing and just lower your shoulder and get a first down. You know, like there was a third and one that like he just needed to lower his shoulder and take, you know, truck the the linebacker. But he tried to like get outside on him and he got caught and we had to go for it on fourth down as a result. You know, and I just that to me is just like I just it's hard for me to accept that because Trey Sermon's too good. And when you block really well for somebody like you got to be able to get a couple yards, you know, because instead of just dancing in the backfield a little bit. Um, Yeah. Kennedy Brooks. Kennedy Brooks, average, to that point, he averaged half a yard more line yards per carry than Trey Sermon, and I don't think that's that the line is blocking better for Kennedy Brooks. That's that Trey Sermon is not hitting the hole the same way Kennedy Brooks is hitting it. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah Brooks was awesome. Like, I mean, just immediately when he got in the game, like I think his first run was for over 10 yards, and I was like, this is the guy. This is the guy that we need in the game. Um, and, like, part of – I think one of the reasons why one of those drives stalled is because Kennedy Brooks wasn't out there to start. We started with a couple of Trey Sermon carries and just didn't go anywhere. And that kind of put set us behind the chains a little bit. Um, and I think if Kennedy Brooks had been in the game, it, it might've changed the way those possessions possessions went. But um, I mean, he did finish with 18 carries for 168 yards. Like, honestly, that's more than I thought he would get. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be around the like 13 to 15 range. And Trey Sermon had 17. If if they want to break it up that way, that's okay. I mean, I can I can live with that. Um, hopefully, Trey Sermon is is going to be able to be 100% healthy relatively quickly because that was pretty scary. Um, in the fourth the, f- the fact and, that we still don't have an update is, I mean, probably it's better than I would say if you know if it's you know torn ACL or something, they're going to know that yeah by Sunday. Yeah, he, so, I mean, he doesn't have a torn ACL, right? For sure. Like, yeah, they I, there were people after the game that saw him walking on his own power, like without anything like a brace or anything on his knee. So um, he's incredibly lucky 
Um, and like, that's like two times that that's happened to him where it's been like, oh, he's done. Because yeah, mm-hmm. it happened in the spring game and he just like, Apparently, he has really stretchy ligaments. So. Yeah, I was saying, in the sense that Rodney Anderson is the unluckiest guy when it comes to injuries, <laughs> Trey Sermon might be the complete opposite. Yeah. yeah. No, he's he's kind of dodged a couple bullets so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think moving forward, um, you might – I mean, you might see Trey Sermon still start. He is the most established guy. But I think Kennedy Brooks is going to be the guy that generally will lead this team and carries in a game. If if mm-hmm. if we're smart about the situation, because I, I know I tweeted in the first quarter, like, we're just not going to do the right thing at running back, are we? But then, yeah. like, literally on the next drive, they put Kennedy Brooks out there and like there's just a different, you know, it's just a different element to the offense whenever he's on the field, because then it's he can take it to the house or he can bust a 30 yard run and yeah. Kyler can bust a 30 yard run. And that's yeah. just kind of unstoppable. Yeah. Um, I mean, and something that I saw on the field a few times today that I really want to see more of, two-back stuff um, with yeah. Brooks and Sermon. Mm-hmm. Well, there was one where, like, uh, they did, like, an option keeper for Kyler, and Brooks blocked, like, three different guys for TCU. As, like, Kyler was able to get it inside the 10, and Brooks blocked three different guys on the play, like, as effectively as, he, as they could have been blocked. Like, it was really impressive to see. So yeah. I'm really – I'm excited to ho- – I hope we see more of that too. That was kind of one of the things that we would do late in games last year mm-hmm. with Rodney and Trey Sermon, and I, I think that's something we'll we'll see more. Uh, because, yeah. like, I mean, I think our offensive line is – they're just executing at a level that, you know, they weren't executing earlier in the year and similar to what we were doing last year. And at this mm-hmm. point, I think there's not a defensive line or a front seven on the rest of our schedule that's really going to give us trouble. I mean, maybe, like, is West Virginia the best defensive line left now? Like, Oklahoma State? Like, I, I, there's just not many talented groups left on our schedule. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is – I'm only have to – is it Kansas? Jemineen, baby. Yeah, Joe Deneen, uh Daniel Wise is good um, up front. So, I don't know. I, I hope it's Kansas. That'd be great because it's not yeah. like they're going to beat us anyway. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I know West Virginia has a couple guys. One guy transferred there from USC, and he's decent. So, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, West Virginia is still the game that worries me the most coming in, them and Tech. Yeah, so. yeah. But I, I think if we're able to just – because I remember two years ago going up to, to Morgantown and, like, that was the game West Virginia where they were going to finally beat Oklahoma, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and we they doubled just, them up in the snow. Yeah, we doubled them up in the snow, and they just could not handle our offensive line. Like, yeah. they just couldn't. They had no idea what to do with us um, up front. And it helped that they turned it over like six times, but yeah. um, they were never going to beat us in that game just because they could not stop us from running the ball down their throats. Mm-hmm. Uh, while we're, while we're still talking about West Virginia real quick, their defense is third in the country in stuff rate. So yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I was not thinking. bad. They're, they're, they're yeah. not bad. They're yeah. Not bad. Tech oh, Tech's right. at 29th in stuff rate, so they're not bad either. Overall mm-hmm. rushing S&P is 45th. West Virginia, yeah. their overall rushing S&P for West Virginia is 77th, so they're not great as a whole, but their stuff rate is the stuff, yeah. very yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, um, okay. Uh, last thing about offense, um, Marquis. Well, a couple, two more things. Uh, Marquis Brown hurt, tweaked his ankle in the game. So that'll yeah. be kind of interesting to see if how he recovers because he was never like he came back in the game after he hurt his ankle, but he just wasn't himself. So yeah, we'll see if yeah. if it's if it's not serious and he can be a hundred percent next week against Kansas State. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, big shout out to Lee Morris who just continues to catch <laughs> touchdown passes. TD Lee, yeah. man. I mean, come on, eight. Eight touchdowns on 12 catches now for his career. It's getting ridiculous at this point. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's just – he's a really athletic guy for his position for a walk-on. Like, yeah. you know, he's got really good balance. Like, he's he's a pretty impressive athlete at that position. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what's separated him most from Grant Calcaterra so far in their careers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, also, for our friend uh, Nathan Hill, shout-out to shout Carson Shout-out to Carson Meyer. Meyer. <laughs> got himself a touchdown getting in the end zone. So. Is he is he approaching uh, Jeff Mead career numbers yet? We haven't he been on our Carson is. Meyer track. Oh Jesus. <laughs> I forgot I forgot we were gonna do that. I have been I have been really excited to see Carson Meyer develop as a pass catcher in that role because I mean you guys know that I was an enormous Dimitri Flowers stand. And it's um you know it's it's really cool seeing us being able to develop the fullback in the same way that we were last year in the just because it's just another wrinkle like it's another thing where like yeah there's there's the versatility of the two back look with um you know sermon and brooks but there's also the versatility of like brooks and meyer and sermon and meyer like there's just so many different ways this offense can line up and hurt you yeah and they they showed a couple different looks it didn't really have like it really had no success if we're being honest but um, they showed a kind of a two tight end look where Braden Willis and Carson Meyer lined up on both ends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it didn't work in this game, but I think in, you know, those games later in the season, like when we're just trying to pound it out, I think that's something that could be really effective because Carson Meyer is an incredibly good blocker and Braden Willis. I think that was one of the things I liked most about him coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we can just put some more big jumbo athletes on the field, that might just help us just run over teams even more than we already probably will. Um, and as far as Carson Meyer versus Jeff Mead, um, if we want to compare his season to Jeff Mead's season last year, Jeff Mead had six catches for 98 yards last year, no touchdowns. Carson Meyer has five for 78 and two touchdowns this year. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, now for his career, Carson's going to have to – Gonna have to get going because career-wise, Jeff Mead had 22 catches for 314 yards and four touchdowns. So I'm not sure Carson's gonna be able to catch him for career mm-hmm. catches. But if he does, I mean Nathan Hill's gonna be a happy man. Yeah. Um. Okay. Do we have anything else to say about the offense? I don't think so. I think that's uh pretty much all I have. Like, I mean. Cody Ford is a freaking monster. Like, I mean, you didn't really hear from Ben Banigou all day. And, mm-hmm. like, that's just kind of absurd to me that a guy who was playing offensive guard last year was able to come in and just completely neutralize the best pass rusher in the Big 12. Like, that's pretty impressive to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've come a long way since 2014. Yes, yes we have. Uh, the defense. 
the defense. Yep. Yeah. So obviously, you know, a lot of this was an environment ripe for charge takes. Can I? I would just. I'm going to lead off by saying that I'm pretty happy with what the defense did on Saturday. Yeah, I. I mean, I just the first thing I noticed just they tackled better. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, I think the Pro Football Focus number um, for missed tackles was eight, but I also don't know if they take like special teams into the equation because Kevante Turpin broke a couple on some punt returns and stuff, so I don't know yeah. if that is included. But it just like I just remember early in the game, like I was watching it uh, with a friend and like. They ran like a screenplay, and you know they, you know, we had two guys in position, and both guys made like a form tackle on the guy, mm-hmm. and like I literally just stood up and was just like, we just we just tackled him, and he just like <laughs> stopped, he stopped running as soon yeah. as our guys touched him, like that was awesome, yeah, you know, like it was just, yeah. it was just more fundamentally sound. Yeah, well, for me it was, you know, we had them in a passing third down. And, uh, uh, you know, they attempted a pass and we broke it up. Yeah, Kenneth Murray broke Ken- up a couple Kenneth passes Kenneth Murray broke up a pass over the middle. Like, we stopped someone on third down without having to sack them. Yeah. No, it was, it was insane. Like, mm-hmm. now TCU finished the day 4 of 14 on third down, which we were 3 of 12 on third down. Which was kind of weird, but we were also three of three on fourth down. But yeah, um, just like, kind of a weird, weird thing. Well, yeah, yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those third downs were either like hopeless or like we were intentionally going to set up fourth down. Yeah, for sure, we ran it a couple times on those downs. Um, but yeah, no TCU four fourteen on on third down. We got a red zone stop, guys. <laughs> we got we got we got a red zone stop. Um, so. Yeah. It, it has finally happened, and that's like that's literally all we need. Like we just need yeah. to hold teams to field goals because a college kickers, if you hold them to enough field goals, college kickers will miss one. It'll just mm-hmm. happen. Um, and b our offense is going to be scoring touchdowns anyway. So if you hold them to field goals, you're going to win. Yeah. So um, I would also just I just want to say these words out loud um, because it's kind of astonishing, and I don't feel like people have said this enough. Our defense forced a quarterback change. (laughs) Totally did. Um, Yeah, Sean Robinson was dreadful. Like, he was by far the worst quarterback we faced this year. Now, he's obviously going through some injury problems. He had a season-ending surgery, like, today. Yeah. Um, So, like, obviously not 100% Sean Robinson, but the guy looked horrendous when he was on the field. Um, and other than just those, like, you know, he had a screen and like a bomb, um, Uh Michael Collins didn't do anything on us either. So, um, and so it wasn't like we forced a quarterback change and the deep in the back of quarterback didn't look like a Heisman contender. Yeah. Like like, both, both of these are improvements. Yeah. We forced a quarterback change and then like that, the backup made some big plays and then we made adjustments and the backup didn't make any more big plays. And, like, that's incredible. I'm so proud. Yeah. I, I can't remember if I said this on the podcast that 
made it to air or if it was on the podcast that didn't or if it was just talking to Alex that wasn't recorded at all. But I said we were going to give Jalen Rager the clamps. And he said, who's going to do it? And I said, not Parnell Motley. And so other than the one play on Parnell Motley, we gave Jalen Rager the clamps. We did. We did give Jalen Rager the clamps. Yeah, one catch on six targets. Not great, Jalen. No. He he still should have come to Oklahoma, but – I'm fine with him not at this point. Yeah, he's now 0-3 against Oklahoma. No big deal. Um, but yeah, and you could argue that he, that he pushed off on Parnell Motley on that touchdown, like, and they just didn't call the offensive pass interference. Like they, you can argue that I think, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm not going to give Parnell Motley the benefit of the doubt because I don't <laughs> think he deserves it, but, um, I, there's, there's an argument to be had there and like shout out to Parnell Motley for being the master at the useless interception, like. You know, he's getting really good at it. It's it's like he thinks we'll forget all of his transgressions when he does that. Yeah. <laughs> like, because, like, his first two interceptions were just, like, thrown up desperation ducks that if he had just, like, knocked him down, it would have been the same result. And yeah, now this actually one, might like, have led to better field position. Yeah, well, and this one, the guy literally threw it right to him. Like, it mm-hmm. was just, there was nothing there. Yeah. Which... The fact that he caught it is more than I can say for Khalil Houghton or Buki. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, Buki. Oh. Because if there was, I, I was absolutely furious at halftime of this game because I was like, "We're gonna win, but we should be up like forty-two to nothing right now, and it's twenty-eight twenty-four. Like yeah. I was really mad, um, and like a lot of that was directed at Buki because if he just catches that interception at 35-7 at that point and yeah, the game, the is, game over. is over. I I was also really mad until you realized that because of what the score is, you can bet more money on OU to win by minus eight and a half and you, <laughs> you know go. we're going to win by 20. So there's right. a little hey, comfort in that. Hey, fun betting tip from Sam Davis. <laughs> fun betting tip. Watch the game that you're betting on. <laughs> Yeah. Look for yeah, look for games that are close at the half to bet for on one team pulling away. Um so um yeah, I think the defense I was really happy. Yeah, let's um, let's talk about some of the personnel changes that we made because there yeah. were some Yeah, and, despite what the broadcast said, there actually were some pretty significant changes. Right. So the thing was like on our last podcast, like I had heard every change like that OU made like I had heard that that was going to happen mm-hmm. I just didn't want to like say it because it was like paid information so yeah um, I think I did a pretty good job of not indulging that information but um so they switched to the four-man front yeah um you with had... Ronnie Perkins out there opposite Kenneth Mann on the mm-hmm. D-line you know that kind of that shifted some of the gaps that they the play they they were responsible for, and you know I thought I thought Ronnie Perkins looked good like he had a couple plays especially uh-huh. late in the first half where I know there was one play where it was like third and three and he just like got after Darius Anderson in the backfield didn't like make the tackle but he made him run towards other defenders so mm-hmm. um, like that was a really big play in the game because like. If they had scored a touchdown there, the game would have been tied at 28. So um, that was like a you know, pretty pretty big play. Uh-huh. Um, and um, 
I thought Neville Gallimore played maybe his best game of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I saw, like he was just in the backfield more often. And I think the uh, the four man front really fits Neville the best out of probably any of our defensive linemen, other than maybe Ronnie Perkins. Um, I thought I think Neville is a natural fit inside as a as a four as a as a four man front defensive tackle. Like I think that's pretty much in his wheelhouse. So hopefully we see a, a more productive Neville Gallimore for the rest of the season. We've been waiting on it for three years now. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, up front, like that was really the biggest thing. Um, also, we did see the the premiere of Jalen Redmond in an Oklahoma uniform. Yeah, way. Kind of. I was actually surprised. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That guy has wide shoulders. He does. He is a big dude. Like he, we recruited him to play that Jack linebacker position, but like honestly, I think he might be too big to play it because he's just. Yeah. Like, I think he's listed at like 265 pounds yeah. as a true freshman, you know, he, like he is, he is more Ronnie Perkins than Mark Jackson. Oh yeah. Not even. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, no, he's the fact that they are even willing to put him on the football field after missing as much time as he did. Yeah. Tells me that they think he's going to be a superstar. Yeah. Um, and so I know that. Go ahead. Uh, I was I was gonna ask go something ahead. dumb, so you guys go ahead. <laughs> no, do it. I was gonna ask, is he gonna be your Carson Meyer, Ryan? Um. Oh, it, yes. From from your alma mater. Yes. Look, we we been we went through the whole Will Sunderland thing. So yes, I'm absolutely on the Jalen Redmond train. He's gonna play the Jack at that weight, and it's gonna be astonishing. Right, it's he's Jadavian Clowney, and I won't hear otherwise. <laughs> one, one, one other dumb question, really wow. quick. One other dumb question. Um, so you're currently in Oregon, yeah. And is your dad watching the Portland Trailblazers game right now? Oh, did you hear? That? Because I heard, I heard a scream, and I'm also watching the Portland Trailblazers game, but I'm streaming it, so I'm a bit behind. And Sauce Castillo himself, Nick Stauskas, just hit a go-ahead three with about 12 seconds left. Oh, yeah. So I'm Nick thinking rocks. your dad and I are watching the same thing. Nick rocks. Nick rocks. Love Vivek it. Vivek was right. Uh, okay. <laughs> back, back to everyone's regularly scheduled podcasting. <laughs> um, yeah, we, yeah, we were on Jalen Redmond. Jalen Redmond before yeah, I, um, I took us off the rails two separate times. Yeah. Well, I mean... I, I, I'm a big fan of the fact that he wears number 31 because it's just, you know, he's, yeah. it's like seeing like a bigger oboe out there. So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. Um, but again, like just, just the fact that they're willing to put him on the field tells me that they think by the end of the season, he's going to be like a legitimate contributor. Otherwise I think they would just preserve his red shirt. Yeah. Um, I think they think he's going to be in the rotation, um, quickly. You know, which yeah. is just amazing to me. Like, it, I just didn't even enter my thought process. Like, I thought, I mean, it would be great to see him to know that he's okay. Yeah. Because you know, you're not going to put him on the field if he's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, just to get him acclimated to college football. But, like, they played him on the road in his first game against TCU. Like, they think this guy's going to be a player for this team this year. So, that's kind of, yeah. that's impressive to me. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right, let's move. Let's move back to the linebackers. That was mm-hmm. our defensive front, and it was a a whole lot of Kenneth Murray and Curtis Bolton. Um, mm-hmm. There was almost no Caleb Kelly in this game on defense, um, which you know, whatever. I you know, it's I think it's probably at this point we're just we just can't expect much from him this year. Yeah, um, kind of a lost season for him, if we're being uh-huh. honest. Thanks, Mike. Um, but he did play on special teams, so we're we are to the point where he he can't redshirt anymore. So this is just yeah. this is what it's going to be for Caleb Kelly. Hopefully, maybe they can find a spot for him later in the season. Yeah. Um, but I thought Kenneth Murray maybe played his best game of the season, um, and I know he had that like. 28 tackle game against army but like i didn't think he played that well um i actually thought he played really well today like he mm-hmm. broke up a pass in the middle of the field he had a couple tackles for loss he had a sack like this is the kenneth murray that i signed up for mm-hmm. i agree um this is i mean he had three havoc plays today and a defended pass that's really good yeah. this is i'm do we have any other hot takes about Kenneth Murray? No Kenneth Murray hot takes. Curtis Bolton has sack today also. Yeah. And that's one thing that I think is kind of interesting about our our two inside linebackers is that they were both like kind of outside guys in high school. Um, mm-hmm. And like Curtis Bolton, like when he came to OU, I thought he was like our next Eric Stryker. Like that's how I kind of viewed him because if you watch his high school film, it's very similar to Eric Stryker in that he was just a defensive end and he rushed the passer yeah. constantly. Um, and I think that so far, I think we've tried to do a little bit of take advantage of that from both guys this year um, and getting them rushing the passer, but we just saw more of it. And I think that maybe the way that they're deployed, you know, without having to think as much now with Ruffin being the defensive coordinator, they might be able to use that strength a little bit more for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I agree. <laughs> and then secondary, like this is another one of those. There was some significant changes in the secondary. Yes. Um, Trey Brown and Trey Norwood started. Um, mm-hmm. Parnell which... Motley played played plenty. Like I think, I think he only played 19 snaps, which kind of surprised me because, like Parnell Motley, I mean. The action is always going to be around Parnell Motley. Like, yeah. either he's going to be do, doing something good or he's going to be getting beat. Like, that's just – that's the Parnell Motley experience. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to compare him to another cornerback of recent history, but he is a bit similar in that way. Uh-huh. Yeah. But um, I thought you – know, which Trey Brown played – like, did you guys hear about his mom? Yes. Yeah, I did. I saw that after the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that totally just freaking sucks. But mm-hmm. um, the fact that he was able to play really well and he was a starter, like he got his first start, you know, less than a week after that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really impressive on his part. He got yes. he got beat a couple of times. He got beat on that big play down the field. But I was like, I don't really know what else he could have done other than being like 6'2". You know, like yeah. he, he did what he could in that situation. So, and like, here, okay, I have a question about Trey Norwood. Okay. Uh-huh. We know he's not physically imposing at all. And in the running game, he's a liability. We, we know this. He got run over by Alana Lua today. 
but no one ever freaking throws at him. And my question to you guys is, why is that? Clamps. <laughs> he's, he's, he's got, got um, the clamps. He's got him. Um, uh, um, I don't know. I, <laughs> it's weird because I don't think it's because he has the clamps. But I yeah. just couldn't tell you. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't been paying attention. I don't know if we're shading a safety to his side and people are getting more favorable matchups away from him. I have not watched closely enough to give you an answer on that. Yeah, it's it's to me it's just weird at this point where it's just you know it seems like Trey Nor or Trey Brown gets a ton of action and he does really well with it, mm-hmm. and Parnell Motley gets beat a couple times a game because teams are always throwing at him and Trey Norwood. It's just like you know they just don't ever throw. So like I yeah. wonder if we just had five Trey Norwoods in our secondary, would the would the would they ever throw? Yeah, you know, <laughs> we I think we should look at nine in the box. Yeah, yeah. If just get, you know, two safeties, you know, four four train Norwoods in the secondary, and commit everybody else to the run game, and you're good. So, sounds sound to um, me. That's a top fifty defense right there. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, last thing, or I guess Buki was playing more nickel, closer to the line of scrimmage. I thought that fit yeah. him. I think you know, like I gave him crap for the dropping the pick, which was ridiculous. Like, dude, yeah, he come got on. Two hands on it. Yeah, um, but like, but he did. There is a that future in which perfectly. he takes that for six, though. Yeah, he read the play perfectly, and that's not something that you're really used to seeing from anybody on this defense is to just kind of read yeah. a play that fast and be in yeah. that perfect of position. And like, so he wasn't he wasn't guessing. He really he read the play. Like, yeah, absolutely. Has our secondary been getting coached by Stephen Parker? Like, has he been helping out <laughs> with this team? He's like, look, what you want to do is you want to bend your fingers backwards. And <laughs> no, it's catch. like, make sure you close your eyes as soon as the ball gets close to you. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the most important part. Yeah. Of being a defensive back at Oklahoma. Just maybe maybe what it is, he's like, if you catch it, then you get to play less defense. Why would you want to? Why would you want to play less defense? Yeah. You're here. Have, yeah, you're here as a defensive back. You're not a receiver. Yeah, your job is yeah. to catch things. You get you'll you'll be able to put more film out there for the pro scouts if you drop the interception. Like if you, you know? catch it, you go straight to the bench. If you drop it, you get to keep playing. Yeah, <laughs> I think we've I think we figured it out. Crack I think the we code. Know yeah. Uh, our DBs can't catch now, except for Parnell. What is Parnell doing then? Does he just hate football? Parnell <laughs> hates football. I mean, that's whether I'm being ironic or like dead serious. I think that's a valid take. Yeah, yeah. Parnell Motley hates playing football. I'm not sure we we want guys like him in our program. Yeah. At this point. So, so the conclusion we've drawn from the um, from the TCU game is that Stephen Parker doesn't want to give up the court. Exactly. <laughs> okay. For sure. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. He's always. Uh, what's the score? Oh, guys, I forgot the score. Let's start over. <laughs> yep. That's him. That's Stephen Parker. Um, last thing with the secondary is um, Jordan Parker was unavailable today. I heard he was sick, so that sucks because I heard he was going to start if he were healthy. Um, and so that was that put Khalil Hotton on the field, and also we got to see the debut of. Delarian Turner, yeah, yeah, which like 
that was like the one that surprised me more than anything else. Like I was like, I wasn't shocked to see Jalen Redmond on the field. I wasn't shocked to see, you know, Trey Brown starting or Buki playing nickel. But when I saw Delarian Turner yell out there on like the first possession, I was like, what the heck? Yeah. You know, so I noticed him too, because didn't he like make a stop on the third down or something? No, I think uh, he was like near. uh, He was probably near it. Incomplete pass. Yeah. Okay. Um, Because I I was like, oh. Yeah, I legitimately had to look up who it was whenever like that happened. <laughs> I was like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> and he looked a little bigger on the field than I thought he would. Yeah, like, I was I, like, what is, what, "Where's this? What's this large defensive back?" Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I mean, he's listed at five ten, one seventy five, but I just he looks bigger than that on the field he for does. whatever reason. And like where he stood out the most to me was on actually on Kevontae Turpin's touchdown because he almost caught him. You yeah. Know? Like which granted he had he had a decent angle on him, but like Kevontae Turpin's a ridiculously fast human being. So um, and when I'm you're kind of used to seeing guys like Ahmad Thomas and Stephen Parker in our secondary, like just not a lot of speed. It mm-hmm. was like kind of eye opening to see a guy almost catch Kevontae Turpin on from the safety position. So. Um, I think he's got a future future back there. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It's and it's good to see him out and playing, and it's good to see that guys like him are getting. Uh... Ryan, I need your dad Sorry, to stop ruining bad. this game for me. <laughs> I want to know what happens myself. Um, yeah, it is. So... It is a very good game, though. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, no, it's good to see um, guys like Larry Turner yell getting these opportunities. Because, you know, there there was a time when we might say, oh, you know, Mike hates this guy and he's never going to play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, that would just happen to random players and it was really annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. All right do, uh, is that all we have defensively or really for this whole game? Like, I, I think feel like, probably... feel like we pretty much discussed this game to death. Yeah, I mean, putting 52 points on a Gary Patterson defense always feels good. Yep. And holding them to three points in the second half and like, oh, last thing about this game. My question now, we're all big Cyber fans. We mm-hmm. love big Cyber. Yes. Is he the worst squib kicker in the history of football is my question. His leg <laughs> is too strong. He, yeah, he can't dial it down. It's it's zero to 100. That's that's Austin Cyber's leg. I looked yeah. I looked very dumb on the after that fifteen yard penalty on the touchdown celebration. I was like, ah, it's not a problem. Big Cy will still kick it out of the end zone because yeah, he's done that before this year. We had yeah. the fifteen yard penalty, and I got I yelled the most anyone has ever yelled for a touchback on a kickoff when Austin Cyber <laughs> did that. Like I went wild, and so I was like, oh, it's just gonna happen again, and then it certainly didn't. Yeah, I think we need to just take the pooch kick out of the or the squib kick out of the out of the arsenal. Like it just never needs to be called. Only bad things happen when we do it. So just yeah. if yeah. you're that concerned about a return, just have them kick it out of bounds. Like I never want to see yeah. a squib kick again from Austin Cyber. Like he's terrible at it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Okay. For real for real. Else? Last point of the game. I think that's I think that's a good place to leave it. 
Yeah. Um, so let's move into do we want to go to a defensive coordinator candidate or do we want to go to what we saw the rest of the college football weekend? Well, actually, I think they're related because our defensive coordinator candidate for the week is Alex Grinch, co-defensive coordinator for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Fresh off, fresh off a... We might be, able to, might be able to get him on the cheap now. From the Purdue Boilermakers. Um, yeah, so let's talk about... Well, first off, who's Alex Grinch? Alex Grinch um, is the co-defensive coordinator, non-play calling duties at Ohio State. He's also the defensive back. Uh, that's his responsibility as far as position coaching. Um, formerly under Mike Leach at Washington State and Gary Pinkle at Mizzou from 2012 to 2014. Those are actually some pretty good music. Um, yeah, so that's that's Alex Grinch. Um, he is from Ohio. He went to Mount Union in Ohio, um, and now he's coaching at Ohio State. Um, all of this is to say that if we wanted to hire him, we should have done it last year. Um, though now everyone's feeling a little smart because his team did just get whacked by Purdue. Do we want to talk about that game? Yeah. So did you guys watch it? Yes. I watched part of it. Yes. Um, so like, I, I didn't really start believing that Purdue was going to win until like the fourth quarter. You know, because I was just like, <laughs> yeah, surely Ohio State's not going to let this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ohio State has like big time problems. Like, it's not just the fact that their defense can't stop anybody. Like, their offense has big problems also. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you get if you get pressure on Haskins. It's a uh, that's that's definitely the way to take him down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, like, what's Dwayne Haskins threw the ball. Oh, go ahead. Oh my God. Well, yeah, you're gonna say Dwayne Haskins threw the ball 73 times, which yeah. is insane. That's Good like Lord. Landry Jones stuff. It's it's an Ohio State record. Yeah. Um, but they can't run the ball, which is amazing. Like, because yeah. they have two incredibly good running backs. They have yeah. talent on the offensive line. They're not getting good production there, but mm-hmm. like there is talented players at those positions. Yeah, J.K. Um, Dobbins, who is an incredible running back had 1.9 line yards a carry in this game. His run, his rushes had a success rate of 18%, an opportunity rate of the same, 18%. Yeah. That's and, like, t- just, you know, for more context with JT Dobbins, or J.K. Dobbins, like, last year, as a true freshman, he ran for 1,403 yards, and he averaged over seven yards a carry. This year, he's averaging 4.3 yards a carry, like, yeah. almost – three full yards less than what he averaged last yeah. season. Like, is, it's just, it's not working. In this game, he averaged two yards a carry. Um, and his highlight yards per opportunity, even, 1.35. He was abysmal in this game, and I don't understand how a running back can look that bad. Until you understand that this offensive line has really massive issues. Yeah, yeah. And, like, not to be outdone, like, their defense is probably worse, you know, like they're, they they're, just gave up 49 points to Purdue. Yeah. They're, they're, like, it was always kind of like how the Los Angeles chargers are, are right now. They have some deficiencies and they can be covered up by their Bosa and 
he's just not coming back. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. The well, like that fourth quarter was amazing because Purdue was just like running simple plays just up the middle and scoring yeah. touchdowns. DJ yeah. Knox had like I think two touchdowns like on the same play in the fourth. They quarter. would just yeah, Purdue would just run these sprint outs to the flat, and it's like this is like literal peewee football happening and it is making the ohio state buckeyes pee their pants yeah yeah like so rondale moore is unbelievable i'm very glad he's at purdue yeah yeah because he's committed to texas yeah like thank god he's not at texas right now um because that dude he's one of the fastest players in the country and like he's just a freak of nature like the did you see the play where he just broke like, what was it, three tackles and kept going and scored? Mm-hmm. Like, Ohio State at just one point, they just stopped tackling. They were just like, eh, this game's over. We're just not going to tackle anymore. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. I'm, I'm going down their list of players, like, that just uh, recorded tackles. And it's like, oh, that guy was a five-star. Oh, that guy was a five-star, too. Five-star. Like, there's, yeah. like, five or six five-stars on this defense that just can't seem to do anything right. Yeah, hey, uh, mm-hmm. how how many tackles did Josh Proctor have for them? Yikes! Zero, zero. Yeah, come on, man! You can't even get on the field to a team that got that Purdue hung forty nine on. Yeah, yeah. At least he would be on actually... the field at OU while he's getting lit up yeah. by mediocre offenses. <laughs> this is and this is very much becoming my role in the podcast is to say. There's actually an interesting SB Nation article about this. Um, but, I mean, there's an interesting SB Nation article on right now of, uh, that just talks about, like, hey, all the stuff with Urban Meyer, and, like, now he's actually kind of doing a bad job at his job, too. Like, yeah, these, um, you know, this is a team constructed out of some of the best recruiting classes possible. Right. Um, and, like, the... Young, like the young studs that they've brought in, apparently can't even get on the field, um, even when abysmal things are being done to you by Purdue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw something about how Urban has he's hired some people that he just was too comfortable with, um, yeah. which sounds very familiar if you're an OU fan because that's exactly what Bob Stoops did, and we yeah. kind of had a, a lull in the you know, 2010 through 2012, where it's just like the staff isn't very good. Uh, that's kind of mm-hmm. what it's seeming like up at up at Ohio State right now. Like, there's just maybe some dead weight mm-hmm. on the staff. And like, I don't think you can. You know, we everybody talked about how big of a joke his suspension was, and it absolutely was. But yeah, there's no absolutely. doubt that that whole situation was an unbelievable distraction for this team. And like. Mm-hmm. They're kind of just responding the way you would expect a team that had that much controversy surrounding its head coach to respond, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some other highlights from this drubbing. Um, Ohio State actually had more scoring opportunities than Purdue. Um, But the difference is that Purdue averaged seven points per scoring opportunity, and Ohio State averaged (laughs) 2.86 points per scoring opportunity. Good Lord. Yeah, no, that was really the difference in the game. Like, Purdue just finished drives. 
and Ohio State had so many opportunities, just couldn't do it. Uh-huh. And like, so to me, like, I don't think this season is lost for Ohio State. Like, they still only have one loss, and if they, I, I don't think it's out of the question that they could win out. Like, I don't think yeah. they're that good, and I think there are multiple teams left on their schedule that are playing better than them at this point. Uh-huh. But like, they've got plenty of time to get it figured out. Like, they've got a yeah. bye week coming up. Like, there's yeah. time to right the ship. Um, but I mean, they've got to go to Michigan State and they've got to play Michigan last week of the year. So, and yeah, arguably both of those teams are are playing better at this point. Yeah, um, especially I mean, Michigan's inarguably playing better than them. Yeah, yeah, and the likely, you know, even if they win out of the regular schedule, they'll likely have to play Wisconsin in the title game, and I don't know if they win that. Yeah, yeah, that's that that'd be interesting for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Um. Let's so see. about Alex Grinch. <laughs> so, okay. Oh, yeah. So let's. So that's um. All right. So let's talk Alex. Grinch. Let's talk Alex Grinch. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so the way. Okay. Go ahead. We kind of we kind of mapped this out before. Um, we're gonna have ourselves a nice little debate. Um. And I am gonna be on the side that Alex Grinch is still a really good candidate to hire. And Ryan is gonna talk about why we shouldn't hire Alex Grinch, and then Sam can just at the end, I guess I'll maybe decide who, who decide who wins the argument. Um, <laughs> so, do you want to start with? I mean, we kind of just talked about why we shouldn't hire him, but do you want, do you have anything else on why Alex Grinch is not the right candidate for Oklahoma's defensive coordinator? Okay. So, first off, yeah, the team he coaches just gave up 49 points to Purdue. Um, so, that's there's, there's where we'll start. They're 50th in S&P Plus, and they have a silly amount of talent. And frankly, they were below where they should have been in S&P Plus, even when they had Nick Bosa. Um, mm-hmm. Like, they're, like his, team, his team was not playing up to its talent level. Um, which is an experience that we're all pretty familiar with. Um, and I think we'd like to change. Um, the other thing about um, the Alex Grinch hire is that, like I said earlier, if we were going to make this hire, we should have done it last. Um, the reality is that he's in a situation that he really likes right now. And frankly, like apart from play calling duties, which, hey, he might get those anyway. Um if Greg Schiano, who is already like kind of a weight around the neck of Ohio State, takes like takes one for the team after this, then he might get those play calling duties at Ohio State. At that point, I don't know what we can give him to move him out of that position. Um, but it's probably large dollar bills. Um, probably much like I don't think at this point, like you have to think a little bit about the value of that. I don't think that he is worth what we would have to pay him at this point. And that's okay. my, there you go. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I was going to say earlier that I think that performances like this and their overall performances probably hurt the possibility because I think Greg Schiano is probably not long for that job. And mm-hmm. I think they would probably pretty naturally, um, move Grinch into the to the primary position at that point. Um, but as I am supposed to make the argument for why we should go after Alex Grinch, I will now do that. 
So my my point is he it's not his fault. Okay. That's I mean, that's really what all there is to it. Like he is the secondary coach, and yes, their secondary is not doing well. Um, but I think overall there there's just a lot of issues with that team that aren't don't they aren't centered around him at all. You know, they're centered around, they're paying a defensive coordinator one and a half million dollars. He's not doing a good job. They have Urban Meyer coaching after having one of the bigger coaching controversies um, of the last couple of years surrounding him. He was suspended for part of the season. Um, so I, overall, I don't, I just, I don't put any of this on Alex Grinch. Like he's in a new situation doing what he can, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so my argument for him is you just got to look at the fact that defensively at Washington state, he had really good defenses, you know? Um, and I also look at the fact that the defense at Washington state is still good this year, which tells me that he laid some like framework for someone else to be able to pick up where he left off, you know? And to me, that's important because I don't think, you know, if Alex, a guy like Alex Grinch is, uh, successful at Oklahoma he's probably going to be gone in a three or four years you know um but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing like you want other schools to want your coaches they want to want your coordinators because that means they did a great job um and like I love the pedigree that surrounds him um you talked about he was at Missouri under you know he coached some really good defenses at Missouri Missouri's been kind of an underrated defensive school the past few years other than they've had a couple down years on that side but overall Missouri's defended really well and then Washington State has been like one of the worst power five programs prior to Mike Leach and Mike Leach is definitely not known for his defense he's definitely a guy that just kind of lets the defensive coordinator do whatever they want like he really plays no role on that side of the ball so the fact that like they were good defensively that that was 100% Alex Grinch to me. Um, so I don't see like, so just like, I don't see any fault in what he's doing this year. I think he deserves all the credit for how good they were up at Washington state defensively. And one of the stats that I was looking at just that kind of attracted me the most was they were fifth in the country on third down defense last year. And like in this conference, that's one of the key stats to me. Like, You've got yeah. to be able to get off the field on third downs, um, so you're just so your defense doesn't have to play 500 plays a game, you know. And you know, stylistically speaking, he's you know he's playing he played a three three five up at Washington State um, with tons of shifting and tons of movement um, pre snap that just will confuse offenses. And it's a, overall it's a pretty aggressive defense. And to me, like. I've said this many times, like as good as our offense is, it doesn't make sense to me for the, our defense to not be aggressive because yeah. if you give up the big play, then our offense just has to go back on the field. And that's never a bad thing for us. So um, I kind of like the style, like he coached with Mike Leach, obviously Lincoln Riley is, you know, that's Lincoln Riley's mentor. So there's that connection. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the pace of, you know, like pace matching or whatever. And I know we talked about OU's offense not being fast, but they are like crazy explosive. So that kind of counteracts that into where 
you're still going to have to play a lot, even if our offense yeah. is playing at a pretty slow pace. We're just so explosive, it doesn't really matter. Um, so I, I think Grinch is a really good, a really good hire. He checks a lot of boxes. Um, and another thing, like with with John Heacock, like I, I think John Heacock's probably my favorite out of all of the um, coordinators that we could look at. But one thing that Alex Grinch that has that John Heacock doesn't is just he's younger. Like he's in his thirties. Like he's gonna recruit probably at a higher level. Yeah. John Heacock. So, I mean, that's pretty attractive to me because that was really my only concern about John Heacock. Um, and that's not a concern that I have with Alex Grinch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's all valid. Um, and I know my job is to explain why we shouldn't hire Alex Grinch. Um, and I do think that all of the things I said about the timing of the hire stand true. But it's, it. I mean, it's worth noting that, like, the year before he got to Washington State, they were 101st in S&P Plus in defense. His first year, he brought them up to, like, 70-ish, uh, then to 60-ish. And his last year there, they were 29th. And now they're actually back down to 68th. So he, um, yeah, like, that's a really obvious effect right there. Right. Um, yeah. That I don't think is really deniable. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I'm just kind of looking at his... Uh recruiting class at you know this season and like he has a safety that OU would freaking love to have committed mm-hmm. um and like I'm not saying that you know getting a guy is worth making a hire like that's would be way 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 down on the list but like you know that's a guy you know OU needs safeties like they, they need safeties badly yeah um, and if maybe you could get somebody to to come with him as he as he would come to Oklahoma, that might be a, a pretty big win. Um, just as like a, uh, just an additional plus, like a cherry on top of the, the situation. Like it's definitely not a reason to hire him, but just maybe a little added bonus. Yeah. Okay. So what's our conclusion, Sam? Uh, I, I think you both said plenty of valid points. I think the biggest thing, what it would come down to would be, the money, um, like he is one of the hot and up and coming people. I think the money, like he would be more expensive than like if we're just direct comparison to John Heacock, he would be the more expensive option and we would not keep him very long, presumably. Um, so if they're if they're trying to go with something maybe to build a little more continuity with the position, then I, I feel like it's not a realistic hire for us, but if we did hire him, I think it would be a great hire for the one to three years that we have him. Yeah. Uh, um, who who won the argument, fair. Sam? Why don't you answer the question? <laughs> Run the argument. Well, Ryan did come with a little more fire behind his points. Um, he does have the recency bias, uh, whether it's Grinch's fault or not. He gets the the Purdue bump, and so if I'm if I'm giving the argument, and you also in your argument said that you prefer John Heacock more, so I think I'm going to have to give the argument belt to Ryan. Excellent. Um, I guess for my closing statement, I'll say that I I mean I I think that the Alex Grinch hire would be great. I don't think I actually just don't think it's possible. 
Um, I don't think that we're able to do it because I really do think that he ends up taking over the position after Greg Schiano leaves the leaves Ohio State probably later this year. Yeah, no, I, I I would agree with that. Like, I think it's one of the more unrealistic hires that we'll talk about throughout this entire process. Um, which I think we went from maybe one of the more realistic hires in Hecock to the most unrealistic in these last two pods. So, um, it's I mean it's going to be super interesting to see how it how it develops. But I like I'm so ready for it. Like I. I know where it hopefully it happens soon in like December, right? Like that would probably be the earliest it could happen. Like after conference championship week. Isn't that kind of when these kind of things happen? Yeah. Yeah. Like so I mean we could conceivably be headed into a, a postseason. Um I'm not gonna say what type of postseason um situation. <laughs> I don't wanna jinx us or get into that yet, but we could be heading into the uh, postseason with with a really exciting defensive coordinator hired for 2019, um, and that would just be that'd be really cool. I'd be I'd be so down. Um, it's just a shame that we will not get to experience Kyler Murray with a competent defensive coordinator for a whole season. So, yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Man, every day is another day less that we'll have with Kyler Murray as our quarterback. I know. Every, or every day is another day closer. We are to three years of Spencer Rattler. I mean, this is true. Spencer Rattler starting at quarterback and punter. Um, oh, I love it. I love it. Hey, we're going to have an opening at punter next year. So, yeah, I'm here for it. <laughs> what if, like, what if next year, like, we start Austin Kendall, but, like, Spencer Rattler is just like by far the best punter we have. So he like comes in. He's just our starting punter. That would be awesome. That would be crazy. Oh, man. I mean, our coverage would be amazing because they'd have to play safe every time. But... Oh, yeah. They would. That'd be awesome. Oh, man. Um, okay. That's anything else. You see, I guess uh, LeBron did something crazy. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> so. Um. We can't get we can't get into the Lakers Rockets thing. We just can't. Uh, <laughs> I think we're done. I think we're done. All right. All right. We can talk. Thank you so much. And cry. No, we're not going to do that either. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, the Google Play Store, or on Podbean. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at RW Maxi and at Alex P Purdy, as well as at Not That Sam Davis. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, you could leave us a review or share it with a friend. Um, and that way more people can hear the cool thing you like. Um, that's it. Um, we'll be back at some point, presumably to preview the Kansas state game, though. I don't know how much we're going to have to say about that. Um, but we'll see you then.